0: Welcome to the Autonomy Podcast, a podcast about work, post-work, and everything in between. In these episodes, we explore the politics of work, new innovative labour policies, as well as newly emerging forms of production. We want to envisage what the future of work might be, and also what the future of work should be in our societies. You can follow Autonomy's research online at autonomy.work, or find us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date. Welcome to Autonomy's podcast. I'm Will Strong, one of the directors at Autonomy, and I'm very excited to have our guest Stuart Lansley here today to discuss a basic income and what it would mean for the UK in particular. Stuart is an economist, a financial journalist, and a visiting fellow at the University of Bristol. He's written on inequality, wealth, poverty, and he first came to my attention with his short book A Sharing Economy from 2016. More recently, Stuart's been the co-author of a number of pioneering reports for different organizations on the possibility of sovereign wealth funds in Britain and relevant to this podcast, The Practical Realisation of a Basic Income. Stuart, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Okay, so I thought we could start by me asking you about some of your background work on poverty, and um, I'm thinking really of the research summarised in your book, Breadline Britain, which you wrote with Joanna Mack. Um, perhaps you could summarise some of the most pertinent findings from that research. You know, why is policy relative? Uh, above all, why is it so important to today's debates about new forms of social security, etc.?
1: Yes, I mean we we we, we conducted four surveys in, into poverty over over thirty years, starting in nineteen eighty three, roughly equal intervals, um, and the aim was to see if there was a public consensus about what a minimum living standard should be in Britain. And what we found uh, in all the surveys was that the public are relativists, i.e., they accept that a minimum living standard should include. Should be based on contemporary living standards, contemporary levels of consumption, not those of the past. And we found we've also similar studies have been held overseas. Mm -hmm. um, And what we think we have found in all these studies, I mean, there there are you know scores of these studies now Mm -hmm. that show that um, uh, that relativity, relative poverty, the idea that poverty is related to the society in which you live, not some distant past, Mm -hmm. is actually a core value uh, within not just the United Kingdom but other European countries and developing countries as well.
0: And just to be clear there relative poverty as opposed to for example what's called absolute poverty which is as you say often some kind of metric which you know might be about mere survival or things like that some kind of past um criteria for what counts as poverty you're saying that actually that's a uh, irrelevant kind of metric when it comes to what actually existing poverty poverty in in society.
1: Yes I mean the, the, by absolute poverty people tend to think a, a kind of survival level, i.e., you know, somewhere to live, and something to eat, mm. and a few clothes, and, mm. and that's about it. So, um, uh, what we found is that people think those things are very important. People need, um, you know, um, but they need much more than subsistence. And it would be unacceptable to set benefit levels only enough to sort of prevent destitution.
0: Mm-hmm. Because deprivation also includes things like. Um obviously things like clothes but even in the modern era things like computers and things like that which is which perhaps wasn't what poverty was considered to be in 1983 or or prior to that am i correct
1: yes i mean o- over time what well, what we found is that uh, we we included in the list of items that we asked whether, whether these were necessities for modern societies mm. uh, people accepted items that were to do with social participation so mm. they said that people should be able to afford a leisure activity they should be able to afford Uh, to pay for celebrations uh, at Christmas and and at birthdays and so on. So Mm -hmm. they recognize that um, uh, people's, if people can't afford to go out or do these things, uh, then that's wrong in, in a modern society. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. and, you know, you, you go through this in the book um, as well, but perhaps you could outline some of the what you think are the main causes of this kind of deprivation that we're seeing today. So you were talking in twenty thirteen about in twenty twelve, but things to some extent have got worse in twenty nineteen. Uh, now. So perhaps you can go through some of the main causes of this. What's what is going wrong, such that we have such large scale deprivation?
1: Well, I think that, that, that what we found in in the latest survey was that uh, twenty eight percent. Uh, almost 30% of the population were poor on this definition. And this is very similar to the official figures um, based upon income. So, you know, they basically support each other. Uh, uh, and, you know, this is a shockingly high number. And ch- the level of child poverty is even higher. So that's that's the whole population. Child poverty, you know, is now in the sort of low 30%, nearly a third um, in Britain. Um and um, th- if you, I mean, we found, for example, in the survey that uh, 28% of people um, have foregone a meal at some point in the last few months because they couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, so w- the reason why we have such high levels of poverty, I mean, we're talking about, you know, sort of double, roughly double the levels that we had in the 1960s and 1970s and much higher than most other uh, comparable current countries, yeah. uh, rich countries. Um, the reason is that poverty has become institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Ie, it's kind of embedded in the social and economic structures that that we've created. So, you know, Britain is a, is a is a is high up the the international table for low pay. Mm-hmm. You know, that they, it's increasingly creating jobs that are insecure or part time or or or, or, or 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 inflexible. Um, that 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 um that, 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 the sh- that, that the power structures in society have moved very much away from uh the labor force to to basically boardrooms and that that that's one of the reasons why we we have such low pay mm-hmm. food mm-hmm. we you know we now we didn't have food aid in Britain sort of twelve years ago mm-hmm. now now it it it's absolutely institutionalized so um you know the, the 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 reason britain has become a, and well i mean wealth concentration is getting worse so you know um so so what what we have essentially is mechanisms that are built in that make poverty worse and it's very much more difficult for people to escape poverty so that you know it's one of the reasons why social mobility has stagnated over the last 20 years mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, if we are to solve the problem of poverty and solve the problem of inequality, we have to tackle some of these institutional explanations. Mm-hmm. And what we have to do is create mechanisms uh, that, that that are anti-poverty, that mm-hmm. that built in mm. to our structures. That's If we're going to deal with it, that's what we have to do.
0: Right. So, you know, I think what we're getting at here is tweaks aren't, aren't enough anymore. It's actually, as you say, baked into the very structures and institutions by which our economy operates. So... Given that, and I would recommend our listeners go and go and read Breadline Britain. It's a very kind of shocking and, and um, very informative guide um, to, to these issues. Given given these this situation, um, what is the progressive angle in reforming the tax and benefit system in the UK? Because I think you know, if it's true, we can't tweak around the edges. I and mean, when you think about major reform, um, you know, what what from your perspective is 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 something which which really starts to go to the heart of the of the issue.
1: Well, I mean, I I think um, we need to look at the idea of creating an income floor in Britain, below which n- nobody would fall. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have an income floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Beveridge's intention in his blueprint after the war was that would be an income floor, but we've never actually implemented uh, his proposals fully enough to, to ensure... An income floor. So this could, is
0: this is the, the, the beverage plan of I think nineteen forty eight yeah. or nineteen forty two. N- I can't remember. Yeah, the n- date. N-
1: it was nineteen forty two, and then it was implemented in nineteen forty eight. Right. So yes. Um, so uh, you know, this is basically what a basic income is. It, it, the, the idea of a basic income. It will give everybody a weekly payment, uh, which will be guaranteed and it would be unconditional. There will be no questions asked, and this would create. Uh, this income floor. Mm-hmm. Now, the idea of basic income has been kicking around, excuse me, for hundreds of years. And, um, you know, a number of leading thinkers over that time, including, you know, th- th- through the through the last century, mm-hmm. have been strongly recommending a basic income. But it's, it's never really been implemented, um, mainly because, you know, it's been seen as a sort of utopian idea. Uh, it's mm-hmm. been seen as slightly... Eccentric, you know, and the people who advocate it are seen as not really having their feet very firmly on, on the ground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's beginning to change. I think in the last two or three years, um, it's, it's, it's jumped into more mainstream thinking. Newspapers have been talking about it, I mean, television and radio programs mm-hmm. about it. it. You know, some political parties are, are looking at it quite closely. Mm-hmm. And why do you uh, think that is? I mean, well, why? why? Well, I think there, there are several reasons. I mean, the first is because poverty, le- the present social security system. Is not working. I mean, it's heavily dependent on means testing. It's heavily punitive. Mm-hmm. Um, the social security budget, since t- because of austerity, has been cut by twenty five percent. That's roughly thirty four billion mm-hmm. o- since since two thousand and ten. So, social security system has become much weaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, and you know, there is also concern about the jobs market. Um, that the jobs market for a significant minority has become much more fragile, and jobs are becoming more insecure quite lowly paid, um, and I think another reason, and also people are concerned about the effect of automation. Now, this is quite controversial, the effect of automation, I mean, but it's it's coming in. This is the you know use of robots and, and AI and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, quite controversial. Some people think that it's going to wipe out lots of jobs. Other people think, no, it will create new jobs. But it, it's not just about jobs. It's the fact that it will... Uh, create a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um uh, 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 and uh, there'll be you know that jobs will will go more quickly and people will need to be retrained and mm-hmm, so on mm-hmm. um perhaps a more like
0: regular churn for example yeah so I mean, there'll uh, be
1: yeah so that there'll be a lot of disruption in the labor market and people will find mm-hmm. they won't have jobs for life anymore they may not even have a job for five years so um uh so i think those are the the, the main reasons but also um I think people are beginning to realize that um, a basic income uh, isn't just a quick fix for a failing social security system or a failing jobs market. It also uh, could be remarkably uh, empowering to people because people will, if, if they, 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 well, certainly it's a weapon against insecurity, Could people will know that money is going to come in mm-hmm. week after yeah. week. So they can make plans on the basis of that, but mm-hmm. this will give people more job more much more choice. People can decide to um you know they can decide to set up their own small business because they've little got a little bit of basic income which which reduces some of the risk mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they can they can go for retraining or they can decide to do ca- more caring mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, 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 and you know in particular, you know that a basic income will mean that this army of unpaid labor and, and mostly women. Well, for the first time, get paid. Yeah, uh, and it would also help with with um, the caring crisis. We've got a crisis of social care because less money is being put into it, and there are many more elderly uh, people. And that's going to get much worse over the next uh, decade because mm-hmm. the you know it's a rising proportion of people yeah, yeah. over sixty five. So, I think there's a, there's a lot of things going for a basic income. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the big you know the big th- thing about a basic income is this income floor. And I think yeah. that's what perhaps the principal way we should actually look at it, that it guarantees this income floor. It doesn't have to be very high. It can be modest. We can start with a modest income floor mm-hmm. uh, and then let it, you know, find ways of building it up over time. I
0: suppose, you know, just to pick up something you said there, um, you know, in Beveridge's time, you know, he didn't expect when he was he was formulating these plans, he didn't expect there would be long periods of unemployment for, for a large proportion of the population. He didn't expect there to be a low pay, no pay cycle that we we kind of see today. So he was designing a welfare system, a social security system for a particular set of conditions um, where effectively your income was um almost guaranteed from a, a job, a job you'd probably be in for decades. Whereas now, you know, in the absence of of, of this um, this kind of guarantee of, of there probably being a decent job for you with with an okay wage, we have to think about a social security system which can pick up and be a stronger net or floor, uh, even um, than than what than that which Beveridge envisaged in a way. Right, that's it's kind of on the one hand it's adapting to new conditions, but as you say, there's also this more positive element about enabling people in different ways, um, in a non-punitive way. Okay, so I mean, let's that's that's. That's basic income. That's the, the basic idea. Um, but there are different models of basic income, right? There's, I mean, just one example, which is grabbing headlines. Recently, presidential candidate Andrew Yang is is proposing that $1,000 goes into Americans' bank accounts each month as part of his presidential campaign. So there's some basic income levels. You know, the level might be very high. It might be $1,000, 1000 pounds a month. Some are more modest. Um you and your colleague Howard Reed uh, propose a partial scheme as a, as a starting point. And that's, this report is, is my favourite basic income report in, in recent months. It's something which we at Autonomy have, have, have read through a great deal and, and we think it's, it's probably the most feasible scheme, um, but also the most desirable scheme that we've seen. So I wonder if you could talk us through the thinking here, um, different types of basic income and, and how you came to, to what you propose in the report.
1: Well, I mean, there, there there are lots of different models of basic income, depending who's writing about it or is promoting it. But I think basically there, there's two sorts. Um, one is what you might call the big bang approach, um, i.e. what you would do is pay everybody a basic income, roughly enough to live on, um, and um, which would sweep away the existing social security system. Uh, but we we model, we've modeled um, that system, and we, we couldn't get it to work. It'd be very, very expensive um, and also be quite a lot of losers, because one of the things about mean tested benefits is that they least do they do give you considerable income to people in certain circumstances so uh so because it didn't work, we we tried other models, and the model that we found that's most successful is what we've called a partial model, uh, which would um, graft. A basic income onto the existing social security system, so it would sit side by side, um, and uh, we think that's got a, a further advantage, which is that um, it, it, the levels that we set would be enough to give people more work, more income security, but it wouldn't be enough to eliminate the incentive to work. Uh, and there's been big debate right. about, you know, that, that some people. Want basic basic income to enable people to not to work. So some some of it is is about sort of post work post capitalist society or post work society.
0: Um, That's something we're quite we- sympathetic to here at Autonomy. Just to, just to be clear, but I think I mean correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it'd be, have to be a very high basic income for someone to not want to top it up with 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 more cash. Surely I mean, like we're talking, you know, maybe. 1100 1200 a month um, in order for it to be, maybe even more, in order for it to be something which people don't want to plug into the job market at some point. I mean, just to, just to play devil's advocate here.
1: I mean, the critics of basic income talk, talk about it being, you know, a sort of recipe for idleness, you know, and, and, um, uh, and um, that would be true if you had a very big, you know, if you had a very, very big bang uh, approach. It, it could be that a lot of people choose just to live on a sort of modest income and and don't want to work. Well, I mean, I think work has a role to play, um, but I think you know the work ethic is is probably too strong, and our social security system is based upon a system of you know sanctions, very punitive sanctions for people who don't work. So, social security system for the unemployed is is not particularly different from that of the nineteenth century, mm, when mm. you know that, that, that it was all about forcing you know, reserve army of labor, you know, forcing, you know, uh, the, the sort of people into work, whether whether they wanted to work in those jobs or not. So I think a basic income would do quite a lot to tackle those problems. But we we see um, this is about choice. So you, you start with a basic level, which extends choice, and then it's up to people what they do. They have more choice. Do they want to work a four-day week rather than a five-day week? Because they could do so. Do they... Do they want to sort of, you know, retrain every now and again, or do they want to do a little bit more voluntary work or whatever? So it gives people these choices, uh, but I, I think it's too early. It's much too radical uh, in in today's society to say that we want a system that enables people to opt out of work altogether. And also work, you know, a lot of people like working. It, it, it's got lots of advantages in the south, but it's, this is about choice
0: hmm mm-hmm. and so just to reiterate, this is a safety net under the safety net because you're keeping yeah. various benefits in place right, and that would be something those components of for ex- of universal credit like j s a or housing benefit et cetera on your model those those things stay in place for the time being at least
1: yeah so th- two things would go uh, a child benefit would go, and uh, the state pension uh would go mm-hmm. because we're proposing um we we're, we're proposing uh, but mean tested benefits would stay, so housing benefit would stay. Mm-hmm.
0: And how much would? So you have children, you have people under 65, adults under sixty-five, and you have over sixty-five. Could you just run through? Yeah, who, who gets what?
1: Yeah, we're proposing um, uh, forty pound for a child, which is about it's about double current child benefit. Child benefits fallen by twenty-five percent. So I mean, that's re- really just replacing some of the erosion over the last since two thousand and ten. Uh, so forty pounds for a child, sixty pound for an adult under sixty five and one hundred and seventy five pound for an adult um over sixty five which is slightly higher than the present state pension mm, which is one hundred and sixty five uh, at the moment right yeah so um we've we've modeled that system and 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 uh, looked at the impact um, uh, it will it will cut uh, poverty it will cut inequality it will cut um the level of means testing, mm-hmm. um, and, and it would create this, this income floor for the first time.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I've just, just, just for our listeners' benefit, I've got some of the, the numbers here from the report, which are in themselves significant. So, you know, on, on this modest week, weekly rate of £40 pounds for a child, £60 pounds for a single adult under 65, and £175 pounds for 65 and over, um, the authors, Stuart and Howard, have, have actually shown how much each year would 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 go to to these different demographics and so if you're an adult under 65 you'll get an extra 3120 pounds a year and remember that's with no strings attached um if you're uh, over 65 and over you get 9000 pounds extra on top of um whatever whatever other forms of income you have and i think most most uh, radically and most 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 interestingly and, and perhaps the largest impact is is couples with one child or two children so if you're a couple with one child you'll you can expect uh, to receive £8,320 uh, on top of your, your other income um, each year. And if you have two children, it's over £10,000. Now, that's a significant amount of money. So if you if you put that into context, the annual wage for someone earning the official national living wage is £15,269 a year. So if you're a single adult earning uh, the minimum wage, um, the basic income model proposed by Stuart is, would constitute a 20% rise in income um, for you just just on top of your other income. So that's a, that's a fairly significant number. And if you're, as I say, if you're a couple or you have a child, that's, that's, a, that's an even larger number. So I think this, this scheme, actually, when you put it into though, that context, it may have a huge effect on, on particularly the lower-earning um, uh, members of the population.
1: Yes, I mean, we, we've um, specifically designed uh, the scheme so the gains are concentrated amongst uh, lowest-income sections and they would be paid for by higher income groups. So what we would do is um, abolish the personal allowance for tax, and, and we'd also put the standard rate of income, t- the various rates of income tax up by 3p in the pan. The effect of that is to redistribute the the, the present tax system in favor of the low paid. So we found that roughly 75%, the poorest 75% will be better off. At the top 30 sorry, 70%, the top 30%, that would be slightly worse off. Uh, um, uh, so it's very redistributed, mm-hmm. as well, as, well mm-hmm. as you know, cutting poverty and means testing and, and inequality. It's 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 creating a more progressive tax system. Uh, you know, we've had this regressive tax system, i.e., one that hits the poor more than the rich, since the mid nineteen eighties, and no government has actually done anything about that. We still mm-hmm. have a regressive. So part of this system is that it would translate the tax system into a more pr- progressive version.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and I, again, I, I urge our listeners to go to read the report, but there's some great um, lists of, of some of the effects that this basic income model would have. So child poverty would fall by more than a third, from 28.7% to 18.1%. Uh, working age poverty would fall by just over a fifth to 15%. And pension and poverty falls by almost a third to 11%. So these are really significant um, effects of, of the model. And I think um, it really kind of puts into sharp focus really how, how much of a change this redistributive base, basic income would, would, uh, would affect. Now, basic income is more than a financial flaw though, isn't it? It's not just about putting cash in the pocket, providing a certain form of security. Um, there are social benefits too. Um, am I right in thinking that? that can perhaps a more cohesive element to, to a basic income?
1: Yes, I, I, I think that one way of looking at a basic income is that it should be part of a new social contract uh, with citizens. Um, we had a social contract after the war. It was the sort of beverage at policies of guaranteeing full employment, of guaranteeing national insurance, of guaranteeing family allowances, and so on, which were very successful. In in helping to create um, the, the lower inequality and lower levels of poverty that occurred after the war, what, what's happened over the last you know twenty years or so is that social contract, uh, i.e., you know to sort of the state's deal with the public that the, the state will play a protective role and create a safety net and give people proper chances in life, um, has been eroded. It's been eroded quite significantly. And so I think that, that uh, you know, it's time that we rebuilt a new social contract for the conditions of, of, the, of the 21st century, and I think basic income, this basic income floor should be the first step in the creation of this social contract. Uh, but I think also we need to find a way of raising the initial level a little bit over time so it gradually increases. Uh, but I think the, the, the also very, very important is that this Social. This basic income shouldn't be seen as a gift from the state, Mm. uh, as a kind of free good. You know, this should be seen as a social dividend Mm. uh, paid for out of the accumulated wealth that we've accumulated over a a very long period of time. Mm So, Mm -hmm. uh, this this would be the right of citizens to 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 to, to 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 enjoy part of the return. From the national wealth pool,
0: mm, uh, mm.
1: The, 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 at the moment, most of those returns go to a very small portion of society. Very small portion,
0: yeah, so, so I think mean, let's 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 use that to talk about the second model you propose in the report. So, you know, basic income has as a quasi universal. Um, kind of social security flaw um, it already has implications for a kind of universalism a kind of new social contract but actually you go further in your report to actually show how you can try and sediment this into a long-term plan for, for the british economy so this is the citizens wealth fund um, and i know you've done work on this before particularly for um uh, friends provident foundation but also it comes up again in this report so i wonder if you could tell us what this idea is what is a citizens wealth fund and why is this um perhaps the long game of, of basic income in, in the uk
1: well, I mean, the idea of, of uh, socialized wealth is, you know, very well established, and there are quite a lot of models. I mean, a lot of countries have what they call sovereign wealth funds, uh, most of which have actually been created by North Sea oil. Um, but these these sovereign wealth funds uh, tend to be controlled by the state. The state use them for their own economic purposes, and they, they you know, they're not, they're, uh, you know, they're not very transparent. Um, uh, but there are some models that can be used to, to sort of create one in Britain. For example, Shetland uh, has uh, their own citizen Wealth Fund, which they, 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 they uh, developed about 20 years ago, um, and it was paid for by dividends from the oil companies to, to use uh, the facilities in, in Shetland. Um, and um, that's grown to be worth around about £350 million, and that's been used to fund... Uh, social facilities in Shetland, you know, to swimming pools and uh, social care centres and children's, and, and, and children's centres and so on. So a lot of the capital facilities, social facilities, it financed through, through that fund. Now, what we're proposing is this: should, we should create an investment fund initially by the state, uh, but the state simply initiates the funding of it, um, uh, but it belongs to citizens on an equal basis. So we call it a citizen's fund very, very different from the sovereign funds, which are sort of state funds. Um, and this fund, um, you know, will grow over time. It will take time to grow. It will grow over time. How long do
0: you, are we talking here? Well,
1: I think, you know, we're talking about 10 to 20 years. Um, most of the sovereign funds have taken that sort of time. You know, we, we, could have, we, could have, we could have created, most of the sovereign wealth funds have been created by oil. We, we You know, Britain had this huge bonanza of North Sea oil uh, from the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and all that was used by the government to sort of reduce taxes and pay off national debt. Um, and they could have used this money to create a fund. If they had a little bit like the Norwegian fund, which is actually probably the one best known of the, of the funds, um, of the sovereign funds. Uh, and if, if they'd done that sort of in the mid-1980s, we would have a fund that's worth around 700 billion i mean that's about si- a third of the size of the economy and you know that that th- that would have transformed mm. it would me- it would have meant long term thinking being patient and of course governments are not very good you know at being patient and planning for the future but i think that th- th- there's the lesson we could we could do something similar today we'll have to find other sources of funding so we can start but that now would completely but completely transform mm. uh uh, the power of citizens, a relationship with citizens, and the social the dividends, revenue dividends from that fund, when it's established, could be used to top up the basic income. Mm-hmm. And citizens would know that they have a basic stake in the economy, and they know that belongs to them.
0: So am I right in thinking, so model one, the the model of basic income we, was, we started talking about, that could be initiated almost immediately in the first term of a government, for example. And the idea would be to build a citizens' wealth fund, which 10, 20 years down the line, could start kicking in, start topping that up to to have greater rates of basic income going to citizens. So it kind of like reap the rewards of a long-term investment. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah,
1: no, that, absolutely, yes. It's, long, it's long-term It's long thinking. Uh, we, we, could, we have to give it time to build up. I mean, the fund will be invested uh, and therefore it will grow over time. And at the point when it becomes slightly big enough, which is probably between 10 and 20 years, then it can be used to top up the, the, the basic income.
0: And so it's... Ring fenced from the treasury, um, it's uh, created by the state. But am I right in thinking governed by a range of actors, or is it well, what, a kind
1: what of a- we're suggesting is a, is a board of guardians, um, that you know would have government representatives on it, civil servants, but it would also have you know, um, rep we'd, probably, we'd have elections for it, so there'd be representatives from the public, mm.
0: um, got a visible buy in in that way if you have a totally
1: transparent, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, so and and this. And it would have to be set up in, in you know, it, 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 it would require legal protection to prevent, you know, the Treasury getting their hands on it. You know, mm-hmm. the, 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 they, they'd obviously love to get their hands on it during difficult times. But mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it need, we need to find a way of legally protecting it. And so
0: this is, you know, ideas of, of kind of there being some kind of inclusion of of everyday people within the kind of wealth creation process and the redistributive process have, have become quite topical recently. So um, last year we were introduced to the idea of an inclusive ownership fund by um, John McDonald's, um shadow treasury team. Um, I wonder if you had some thoughts on the comparison between something like a so- sovereign wealth fund or a citizen's wealth fund and um, this idea of an inclusive ownership fund. Perhaps you can introduce what that is first and then if you had any thoughts about the comparison between those two models i guess one is about workers and one's about the, the public at large but i wonder if you have any, any thoughts on that
1: yeah i mean i I, mean, I said at the beginning that what we need to do is to create mechanisms that uh that auto that, that sort of automatic me- mechanisms that help to create greater equality and cut poverty i they are built into the system the thing about a citizen's wealth fund is that that's exactly what it does because over time it would uh to socialize, a proportion of, of wealth. And so instead of the returns from that wealth going to a small proportion of owners, it would go to everybody on an equal basis. So that would be very egalitarian. Uh, the thing that what John McDonald is, is proposing is a quite different model. Um, he's proposing a model whereby large firms, as firms of 250 people, um, would be handed um, shares over... a. 10 year period, 1% a year, up to a maximum of 10%. And they would get an annual dividend of £500 from that. So this would give all workers in large firms a share in that firm. Um, there, I think there are two problems with that. I mean, the first one is it would only benefit 10% of workers um, because most workers, most of the workforce works in much smaller firms or they're self employed and so on. So they wouldn't benefit. So it'd be very restricted in terms of the gain. The second thing is that £500 is much less than uh, the, the returns on those shares. And what, what, what Donald is suggesting is that those will go to the Treasury. So it's also uh, a slightly hidden tax on, on large corporations. So, um, so you're saying it's
0: actually the the Inclusive Ownership Funds puts more back into the Treasury than it does into the pockets of workers.
1: Yes. So, I mean, this doesn't... I mean, I, I, I think, to be fair, so John McDonald, you know, put this out as an idea for discussion and so on. So I don't think it's set in stone. But I, I think there does need to be a debate as to whether, you know, we need a system that is, that, that, that benefits everybody mm-hmm. and not just benefits the few. I think he also sees it as a way of encouraging... Uh, you know more democracy at work because people would go on the board and so on or they'd own the share Mm -hmm. so they could have Mm -hmm. some influence and so Mm -hmm. on Um, but we can do that with the citizens wealth fund the citizens wealth fund which will gradually come to own you know quite a lot of the economy can use that power to influence a decision taken by boards on the issues like pay on issues Mm -hmm. like you know issues like the environment
0: and so on so so just to be clear the way that the Citizens' Wealth Fund could start to own part of the economy is because its investments would be um, buying up, you know, shares and assets, etc., from parts of uh, the, the, the private wealth that exists in the, in the current economy, and using that to, you know, the, the profits accrued from these assets to to kind of uh, distribute them out to, to to the citizenry. But you're saying that could gradually increase its its share of the economy. That's that's just to be clear for our listeners. That's what you mean by um, the fund starting to to own more and more of the economy.
1: Yes, I mean, the, the, the fund would be invested. It could be invested in physical assets or it could be invested in financial assets. So it could invest in land, it could invest in property. And we think part of the public national wealth should be transferred in, into the fund. I mean, there's quite a lot of uh, state-owned industries that are actually quite profitable, like the land registry and so on, which mm-hmm. could, could, could go as part of this. Um, and, you know, the, 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 I mean, our calculations show that if you if you put one percent of G, just over one percent of gdp into this fund every year by year 20 uh, we, the fund will be worth over a trillion i.e half the size of the economy so this isn't something that's going to benefit particularly the current you know generation It'll, it, it's building a better society for young people people under sort of 50 really um uh, but, you know, but, but you've got to start somewhere. And I think this mm-hmm. would be totally transformative. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, we agree at Autonomy. I we, we, uh, think about a year ago, we published a series of comment pieces on your initial report for Friends Provident, which you can find on our website um, called Sovereign Wealth Funds, um, and a series of comments following that. Um, I, I, I urge you to go have a look at it. Um, so I, I want to move on to the topic of basic income and the idea of basic services. Now, I'm sure many of our listeners know that uh, in recent months, and in fact, over the last year, there's been this kind of back and forth between some advocates of of basic services, which is this idea that there are six or seven uh, fundamental basic services that the state should provide for free uh, transport, education, health, internet, food, and so on. Um, and some advocates think that this is perhaps an alternative to a basic income. So instead of giving people cash or an income, you you provide these six or seven basic services and there's better social value in doing that. Now, f- for my money, I haven't seen that many basic income advocates who are opposed to basic services. I don't think it's as, I think it's a false dichotomy between the two concepts. I don't think one one is exchangeable for the other. But nonetheless, there's been this debate, um, and in fact, often um critics of basic income actually use basic services as the, as the kind of alternative proposal. Now, I wondered, Stuart, you've, you've engaged in this debate a fair bit. I wonder if you had some, some thoughts on that. Why are basic services not a replacement for basic income, um, or are they?
1: Well, I think that, um, that, that advocates of basic income, I've always said basic income is, is just a single weapon uh, in the progressive armoury. You know, it, it's not the complete set, and that we need to fire on several cylinders, including the extension of free basic services. Uh, this has always been the case. I mean, after the war, you know, back to Beveridge, Beveridge proposed uh, National insurance, family allowances, uh, and the, the free access to healthcare, the, the NHS. He didn't say you can have one or the other, mm. and nor did the Labour government. So Attlee didn't say, look, we can only afford one or the other. All those things were essential. And over the last sort of 30 or 40 years, you know, that we've expanded certain elements of social security have been extended and improved, but we've also extended a number of um, basic services as well. So, you know, we have, we have free bus services for the elderly and so on. So um, we have been firing on two cylinders, you know, cash transfers that that help the poorest um, and and also public, better public services. So I think we need to have this debate and we need to you know, uh, clearly there, there will, you know, have to be so, so priorities. Uh, but but we, we need to understand that they do play very different roles. Mm. Um, that the, the cash transfers to low-income people, there is so much evidence now about the effect of cash transfers. And they are nearly all very, very positive indeed. People don't whittle the money away. They use it for basic needs. If they have families, they use it for children first. Um, they use it to, you know, top up very, very low, uh, use it to sort of, you know, spend it very wisely. There's a lot of evidence on that. I mean, if we, if we look, for example, at the moment, that there's um, a recent study has just shown uh, that a third of, because rents have been, private rents have been rising so sharply and Social Security benefits have been cut, a third of private tenants, many of whom are families, uh, you know, uh, only have, have less, a third have less than £30 a week left after, um, uh, after paying food, rent, uh, and, and utility bills. So, you know, the idea that it'd be better for them to have a bit of free transport rather than, you know, another 20 quid, which would really enable them to, you know, have a, have a decent life. So mm, I, mm. I think, um, you know, there's lots of issues around this debate. You know, there's the, the, there's the question of distribution. What is a distributional aspect? impact of different schemes and mm-hmm. you know as i think i said earlier that are you know the basic income scheme is designed so it's or most of the gains um are very progressive they 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 concentrate on on the poorest mm-hmm. uh that's why we lift poverty um uh, and there's also a question about getting the balance right between the role of the state and the role of the individual mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. determining social priorities mm-hmm. is is it, is it up to the individual i mean the state could you know that the, the state could sort of you know make housing free it could it could it could you know it could provide free food i mean it it, it could do mm. lots of these things mm. but is that right or should we so i think I mean, perhaps a- like
0: some 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 of those are actually more the answers might seem more obvious than others right i mean it, it probably is right that, that that the state provides social housing but whether the, the state should decide exactly what your diet should be each week is 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 perhaps more controversial i think that's quite a, um something which i think people would object to more perhaps i mean i think you touched on an interesting point here in a way that cash i mean money is is a you know it's the universal equivalent it's something which has a different capacity than just a service so giving someone the ability to to choose how they deploy their resources is 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 genuinely a different uh, political thing it's 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 a different um uh, kind of it gives people a different kind of capacity so i think that's what sometimes is missing in this debate that it's it's not enough to just presume that these six or seven services are are all that people need uh, particularly those on low incomes actually as you say there's and in fact if you look at those those um the studies from breadline britain where we look at what people consider to be necessary in, a, in, a, in an advanced society you know all these different the, the lists of items actually you know almost very few are, are part of the basic services package. So I think, while well, we probably agree there well, are need to be greater public services, um, what constitutes deprivation, what constitutes poverty, is in excess of these, and that something cash can speak to, uh, money can speak to, and income can speak to. I think I, d- I don't know if you agree with that.
1: Well, I, th- I yes, I mean, uh, the, the um, I th- I think we need you know the, the progressive package for the future uh, would uh, improve the. Uh, social security system um, and try and deal with some of the flaws that were actually inherited from 2010. Um, but at the same time, we need to rebuild our public services. I mean, mm. the, 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 mm. in fact, before, you know, we we, we start, um, pay, you know, inventing new free public services, you know, we probably need to spend money, you know, on, on, on existing services. The NHS is short of money. The education system is, is short of money. Is being topped up by, you know, parents. Um, uh, the, 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 you know, the, 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 our prison service and 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 uh, you know, is is absolutely disastrous. Um, so, you know, the, the austerity has had a terrible impact on on vital public services. And so, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, I think if if you know, it, 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 we need to have a debate about social priorities. That's absolutely right. And, and certainly basic services need to be a big part of the package. Mm-hmm. Let, let's have this debate. But I don't, let's try and do it in a way that, you know, the, the basic income school, uh, you know, doesn't attack people who are suggesting other things. So let's, let's try and find a way through, a comradely way of developing these ideas. Sure,
0: okay. And then finally, you know, in our last segment, where next for research around basic income? Where, where else do you, do you think we need to start looking uh, in this research field? Where else for policy? Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts as someone who's been looking to basic income for quite some time. Um, do we look at wealth taxes? Do we look at land value taxes? Um, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that um, I think the debate on basic income ha- has moved on from the question of desirability. You know, I think that there's now sort of growing Acceptance that you know creating a basic income floor would be quite a good idea, and there is quite a lot of social security experts have have, have come converts. You know they, they were quite dubious about basic income, but you know they're, they're now beginning to accept uh, to feasibility. So I mean we you know some of our work is about fe- feasibility. There's certainly more work to be done to to, to try and uh, you know some a f- there's a few flaws in some of the modelling which which need to be sorted. But you know so a little bit more work needs to be done there, but. But I, I think that um, we, we need to look at the practicalities of how it would work in practice, how, how the payments would be made. There's work to be done there. And there's also work to be done on a possible trial. I mean, there's already quite a lot of interest in the UK. There have been quite a lot of trials abroad, mm. uh, most of which have been pretty positive and show that the, you know, the, the criticisms have basically come you know slightly wider than mark. Um uh, so i think there's more more work to be done on how we could how we could do trials um and that's already happening so the, the, the scotland is is has been has done a lot of work on the on, on possibility of holding trials in four local authorities um
0: and i believe uh, john mcdonalds committed to a, a pilot um it, it should labor come into power in, uh, next uh, whatever yes, the next election he,
1: is he, he's he's um commissioned a report um uh, which lays out you know various possibilities for trials. And uh, when he spoke at the launch, he said, you know, that I'm committed to 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 have a trial. But he also said, well, so we, I've got to get it, I've got to get it into the manifesto. I mean, so anyway, so there is quite a lot, I mean there is a moment definitely a momentum building up behind mm-hmm. basic income. Uh you know, there's several The Greens are very keen. The Scottish National Party are certainly keen to do it if they Mm -hmm. can get Westminster government to accept some of the social security changes that will be needed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and tax changes that will be needed to make it work. Um, And you know there are public meetings going on all over the country. But I think that's the final thing that that we need to do in terms of the next steps is we need a public debate. Uh, You you can't introduce a system like basic income without the public understanding and being behind it. So um, I don't think we're going to get a basic income in the, in the next five years. Um, it's actually interesting if you, if you look at the, the way some of the most progressive reforms of the last hundred years have been introduced. So there was a lot of debate about the National Health Service, about the idea of socializing health in the 1920s and, and, and 1930s and happened in 1948 mm. um you know the, the family allowance was an idea uh, that was being proposed um by women MPs in in the 1920s that didn't happen to 1948 uh the minimum wage that the, the, you know people started campaigning for a minimum wage in in the 19 early 1970s and it, right. it took what 20 yeah. another 20 years so um uh, so, I think we some can... way to
0: go, but we're we're kind of on the road with the conversation started. Yeah. We have pilots potentially running in the u k We've had them abroad um and I think we're kind of i mean if I'm right in to understand what you're saying we're we're kind of it's important that we create this swell now of interest, demonstrate its viability to demonstrate its desirability um and then make it a kind of off the shelf policy which can be deployed um, when a progressive government comes in comes in. Am I right in thinking
1: that yeah, no yeah. absolutely i mean i I think that um I mean, we don't know. Uh, but I, I, I'd be surprised if one country in the world doesn't introduce some model of a basic income in the next five or six years. Mm, mm. And I think one, 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 when one goes, then, you know, the mm. other countries will follow. So I think that, I mean, it's possible the whole thing will crumble. We, just, we simply don't know. We, we've had these debates before over the last hundred years and haven't gone anywhere. Um, but there is something, I think there is a general feeling now uh, that we are further ahead. Uh, in terms of debate and feasibility and so on than we have been in in the past. So I think there is a momentum and the more we can build on the momentum, the more likely something like this is, is going to come to reality.
0: Stuart Lansley, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Autonomy Podcast. You can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on iTunes. We hope to have you back sometime soon.